that talk is about to begin Hey, 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 come on in Welcome back to your Tuesday Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. Getting to this uh, this to you Tuesday afternoon after we watched a little bit of practice on Tuesday morning. Talk to Ryan Day on Tuesday morning. So Nathan, Stephen, and I will go over all the things there. A couple things I want to touch on uh, before we get into that, though. And actually, Nathan, could you look up uh, who's leading our NCAA bracket for our Texas subscribers? 300 plus people. And I'm mentioning it because I think I'm in the 20s. Actually, I'm doing okay so far. So I want to make sure it's. We'll make sure we talk about that. Um, one thing I would like to talk about, not talk about, but mention is congratulations to the Ohio State women's ice hockey team, which won a national championship. And you know what? They have 36 sports and they don't win national championships in all 36 sports every year. So any Ohio State national championship is certainly worth noting. And congratulations to that hockey team. Um we might, I, I, it might be worth touching on them. There's something I want to check on. I mean, I know like there are hockey fans in Ohio. There are people who really care about hockey in Ohio. And it's not like Ohio has produced a ton of championship hockey teams to my knowledge. So um, the coach there, she came from Minnesota. She won uh, college hockey championships as a player. She won them as an assistant coach. And now she came here and did it here at Ohio State. So congratulations to the Buckeyes on that. And the other thing, Stephen, I wanted to check with you on this. Um, I'm not sure if the rules are different from the for the men's basketball tournament and the women's basketball tournament, but I'm just trying to think about recent Ohio State tournaments. You are allowed to beat a team that has a better seed than, than you in the men's tournament, right? That is, that's not against the rules? Uh, no, St. Peter's no. has been doing a pretty good oh, job yeah. of it. You know what? I knew there was somebody that was right there on the top of my head. The Ohio State women's basketball team, there were six seed. They beat number three LSU. And you know what happens when you beat the three seed? You get to go to the Sweet 16. And I looked this up very quickly, and I wanted to check it. Do you guys know the last time that the Ohio State men's basketball team made the Sweet 16 when they were worse than a number four seed meaning their seed would say they should not have made the sweet 16 you know what i mean because if the sweet 16 is chalk it's the top four seeds all the ones all the twos all the threes all the fours when is the last time the men's team did what the women are doing right now which is being in the sweet 16 as worse than a four seed there is six seed do we know the answer to that question are you talking like wasn't there a year like back in the Scooney Penn, Michael Red era that they got to. Did they, they, they beat a one seed in the second round? Uh, no, or a two they, seed. They did not beat. You said you said then they're lower than a four seed. So worse, yes, not a four seed. Worse than that. Um, if we're not going to count the, yeah, it's been a while. Never, yeah. never, never, <laughs> never, never. Never. The team you're talking about, Nathan, they were a four seed. So a four seed getting to the final four is quite an accomplishment. But that wasn't the question. The question is when as a five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 seed has the Ohio State men's basketball program overachieved and made the sweet 16. The answer is never. Not once, unless I'm wrong. Buckeye talk. 
technically speaking, you're correct. They did have that year back when they when they initially added the first four games and they started calling the first round, the second round, and the second round, the third round, they were a 10 seed who got to the third round. That's not the Sweet 16. I'm not talking about the Sweet 16. Sweet 16. Fake rounds can cram it up their respective fake cram holes. Yeah. The idea that, oh, we got to the third round because this, I don't mind having 68 teams in the tournament. Please stop calling the first round the second round because they don't do it anymore. Yeah, they don't do it anymore. People, people, people were getting too confusing. Yeah, it's okay. way too confusing. Thank you. So they've never done it. So listen, you know who they beat? They beat a legendary coach. They beat Kim Mulkey, who LSU had lured from Baylor to come there. Because you know what? She was a national championship coach. You know who the Ohio State women's basketball team beat in the second round to make the Sweet 16? A legendary national championship coach. Which, by the way, again, I double-checked. You are allowed to do in the men's tournament. So I just would like to say, and I've read that some people said, hey, at least they made it five straight years. I wrote it. I'm just kidding. So, but like now, but we're not talking about it anymore. We talked about that for the four days in there. Now we're talking about getting to the tournament and doing something special, doing something a little above and beyond. And you know, and the women just did something that the men have never done at Ohio State. Worth noting. Nathan, who's leading our bracket? So I don't have a last name on this individual, So, uh, but it's Michael, and he he uh, named his bracket the Toledo Thriller bracket. He has 49 points. He is alone in first place. Things are still pretty crowded after the first weekend, but alone in first place. He has Villanova beating Kentucky in the championship game, though, and one of his other final four teams, like myself, Iowa, was already out in the first round. So he's only got two of his four final four teams left and only one of his championship teams left. So this might be Michael Swansong. Even if Villanova makes a run, there's probably enough people in what I like to call the under bracket. Enough people have enough teams left in their under bracket that he may not be able to hold that lead. And then we have a, a crowd, uh, three people at 47 points. Uh, Jordan. Dave Fitzgerald, the second, and TJ are all tied for second at 47. And as you mentioned, um, you have 43 points. You are tied for 26th. The yeah. spin duggers, spin dugters is what I encouraged you to call it, but whatever. The one thing I, I found about your under bracket, you put a little powder on there, keeps it fresh on your under bracket. That's just a personal hygiene thing. It's the, so, it's the soft white under bracket. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah. And Steven, you did not fill out a bracket. Is that correct? You were talking before the tournament, how you were not in a bracket mood and you did not come out of that. You were never in a bracket mood. No, I was supposed to do it. Um, when I got to Pittsburgh before I headed off to, you know, do my job and stuff. And then I forgot. And then by the time I it was like, Oh yeah. And it was like 1158. And I'm like, Oh yeah, I'm not going to get this done. So Honestly, you probably, if you had done it with like no thinking at all and just started hitting teams, probably be first place right now. Yeah. Yeah. Or I could be like, I could be like Landis and just put 10 bucks down on St. Peter's to win. And now he's rich. No, I know. I get I get it, everybody, with all your miracle genius bets. (laughs) Can we make a rule? If you're going to tweet all your smart bets, you have to tweet the losers. I don't only want to see the winners. Tweet the losers. Buckeye talk. Along those lines, I, I want to make sure, full disclosure, I am in 169th place out of 323. Nice. However, 
<laughs> However, I do have three of my four Final Four teams, including my championship matchup and including my winner, Gonzaga. So I've got a chance to, to make a late climb up to not championship contention, but respectability. I do. Uh, I mean, I was going through some of the people who were at the top, and it's like, oh, wow, this person has a lot of points. And it's like, oh, they have Tennessee winning it. And it's like, oh, that's probably That's not going to happen anymore. So anyway, we good luck to everybody. Brackets are fun. Thanks for doing it. Thanks to our texters who took part in that 614-350-3315. I, I, I have on my list of things to do, um, get a bracket going, a fun bracket going. And so that, that's on my list to start one before the tournament ends for the texters. So I, I would look for that. I also, so today is Tuesday. This is the Tuesday pod. Wednesday is pro day. And CJ Stroud is going to throw. And I think, the Wednesday pod will be after pro day, kind of like how'd pro day go? What did people have to say after pro day? And then Thursday, we will speak to the defensive lineman interviews, Jerry Emig and Mike Bassford, the sports information team. They set up interviews with different position groups throughout spring. They do the same thing in the preseason. So we're getting the defensive lineman, JT Tumaloa, Jack Sawyer, Zach Harrison, Tyleek Williams, an interesting group. I think that will be the Thursday pod. So we'll have, you know, these pods this week are kind of reacting to what happened earlier in the day and bringing it to you hot and fresh, just like your under bracket. On Friday, this is my idea, because I don't know how many people listening here subscribe to the College Football Survivor Show, because I, we did this for the Tuesday pod that's out this week that's only for Apple Podcast subscribers. $2.99 a month, you can subscribe. The Wednesday shows are free for everybody. The Tuesday shows are for subscribers only. And we talked about Heisman candidates. Shahan and I did on Tuesday. And in the course of that, I realized something about Jackson Smith Najigba that I hadn't quite realized that I would like to talk about as our Friday pod. And it's not too early. And it's along, it's based on the fact that he is good at football, but I didn't know something that made me now think about, oh, I really want to talk about this coming season for him. So I think that'll be the Friday pod and I'll leave the tease at that. If you guys know what I'm talking about, save it because I, I, I want to get people jacked up to listen on Friday. So that's where we are. And we'll come back and start the podcast next on Buckeye Talk. All right, Doug, Nathan, Steven. Nathan, where do we want to start? Where would you like to start with some of the football things that we talked about with Ryan Day on Tuesday? And also what we saw during the 25 minutes that we watched practice. Maybe we should run through that first. I, I don't know that we saw a lot of like breathtaking stuff today. I thought it was very much like what we saw on last two weeks ago, Tuesday, with a um, couple more faces involved than they were or more involved than they were in some cases uh, on that first practice, but um, did not see Josh Proctor out there today. Notably uh, did see Cam Brown more involved with the defense. Did see Zach Harrison and Javante Jean-Baptiste back in the mix. They were kind of working on, on, out on the side on that first day. I mean, veteran guys get sort of worked in slowly over time. So I think it's one of those things with Proctor, something to keep an eye on just in the long term because I, they're expecting him to obviously be, have a big role, um, but he's coming off a catastrophic injury. So, um, how does he get eased back in as this goes forward? And also, we didn't get to see a lot of um, – it was all just drills, right? It was just all rotating through drills. And that did not give me much of an indication of how people are actually lining up. So Mitchell Melton was still with the defensive line. 
uh, but that I didn't get a great grasp on exactly what they have him doing besides just doing the same drills all the other defensive ends are doing right now. Yeah. Um, offensively, uh, the starting offensive line is going to be Paris Johnson at left tackle, Dewan Jones at right tackle, Luke Whipple is the center, and then the guards are going to be Matthew Jones and Donovan Jackson. Now that Harry Miller's not with the team, not playing football anymore, those are going to be the guards. They they repped at both spots, Donovan Jackson and Matthew Jones. They both had some snaps at right guard and at left guard. Um, for the sake of you know putting a name on it, I said Donovan Jackson right guard and Matthew Jones at left guard. But if we get to fall camp and that's flipped, that's fine. But those are your five starters. The more interesting thing now is who are the guys behind that? Josh Fryer, obviously, you know, not participating fully in spring practice. And so I plugged him in at one of the guard spots for now. But the guys I saw at on the second unit, I saw Zen Machowski and Ben Christian at the two tackle spots, Enoch Mamahi at the guards at right guard and Jacob James was the center. That's the most interesting thing about the offense right now, because I mean, we know the offense is going to be good uh, of the drills. I saw they had a quarterback tight end drill and it was Joe Royer was the blocking tight end and G Scott was the receiving tight end, but that's just because I mean, you're, there's two receiving tight ends. One of them has to be the blocking tight end. If those are your best two guys, uh, Mayan Williams and Trey Sermon, um, Travion Henderson, excuse me, continue to rep with CJ Stroud. That's yeah, that's two different talent levels. Continue to rep with CJ Stroud whenever they do quarterback running back stuff while Evan Pryor is with Kyle McCord and Devin Brown gets the scraps. Um, I think the most interesting drill I did see, though, and Doug, you actually asked about it. I don't know if it's because you saw it, too, or you just it was on your mind when you asked Dad about it. The idea of you know the handoffs to the wide receivers, they actually had a jet sweep drill that we got to watch. And in the past, it's just been we're going to jet sweep it to Garrett Wilson. But in this drill, it was Jackson Smith, the jig, but it was a Mecca Buka. Both of those two guys make sense as slot guys who you just want to get the balls in their hands and see what happens. But Marvin Harrison Jr. was also in that drill. And that one kind of caught me off guard because you wouldn't think that that's something he would have in his repertoire. That is why I asked about that. I asked okay. Ryan Day about getting the receivers involved in the run game because I also noticed that jet sweep drill. Garrett Wilson had four carries last year. The only receiver carries they had a year ago. And I asked it in the context of what we talk about a lot here, which is they want to run it. They want balance. They want like 50, 50, but Trayvon Henderson can't carry the load by himself. And if your quarterback's not going to run it, could you, who else can you get involved? We've talked a lot about mine Williams and Evan Pryor with that. And I just didn't know you see it a, a little bit more, right? I mean, you, the NFL seems to be going to it a little bit more and it's, just get the ball to your playmakers in a wider variety of ways. And Ryan Day's answer about it was, well, listen, unless you've got kind of a bigger, thicker receiver, and he mentioned Debo Samuel, and it's one of those things. Debo Samuel is a rare dude, and then it's like, oh, everyone wants the next Debo Samuel. It's like, there's probably just one. You're not going to turn many re receivers into actual running backs. So he said, unless you have a big, thick receiver, tough, fit, you know, weighty receiver like that, you're not going to ask him to run between the tackles because that's you're just putting yourself in jeopardy there. If you're running outside the tackles, then you can run some of this jet suite stuff and, and get guys in space. So I'm curious about that. And it's one of those things where wrinkles are great. I love wrinkles. I don't iron things. Do you guys iron? Steven, yes. Nathan, do you? Nate, oh, Steven, you iron. How yeah, often do you, do you Do you iron really? your clothes? Actually, I'm surprised because I didn't know that anybody irons anymore. You iron your clothes daily, like a couple times a week. What typically do you iron? T-shirts, uh, dress shirts, um, stuff like that. Honestly, it's kind of therapeutic for me because it's this thing you've got to take your time with. 
you can't really rush it because if you rush it, you're going to iron something the wrong way and have a, you know, a stark thing going on right there. It's the therapeutic. Thing. I've, I started in high school. I would iron all my clothes for the week because my parents decided they wanted to put me in Catholic school for high school. Um, so, yeah, I started it then and been ironing ever since. I'm probably the only person my age that irons their clothes. I don't iron pants. You'll never see yeah. me with that crease in the middle, but I iron mostly T-shirts and uh, dress shirts. Do you have an ironing board that's on the back of a door or a separate ironing board? That has oh, no, I have. Yeah, no, it's a back back of the door one and I can just put it on a table. OK, I can't remember the last time I ironed something. Is that the category you are in, Nathan? Yeah, I think in my life, I, I didn't grow up in an ironing family like we didn't iron our clothes growing up like I just didn't. And yeah. I didn't go to Catholic school. I went to school in a bean field, as we've talked about before. So I, I, I didn't you know, it was you just showed up in your overalls and um, your straw hat. And I would love to see you in a pair of overalls <laughs> at a cover your game. I'm going to be honest with you. And is there is there a game on Halloween this year? Because if so, Nathan Barrett should have to wear overalls to that game. <laughs> And you just, you know, went about your business. So uh, I, I don't get, I get ironing dress shirts and I have attempted a couple times in my life to do it. I just feel like it's not worth the effort. Uh, I don't get ironing t-shirts. It's a t-shirt. It's supposed to just be kind of sloppy. I don't know. And I, I I'm also not wearing t-shirts for fashion, uh, yeah. I guess is part of it. And I, I also think that. Buckeye talk. <laughs> and I, I also think there, to some extent, um, a an iron shirt would look better, but an iron shirt is probably not the look I'm going for. I'm going for like if you've ever seen the movie Spotlight, like the the reporters, mm. it, like the actors in that movie, like they very specifically copied like the like all it's it's collared shirts, but they're a little bit like wrinkly and baggy, and the way they roll the sleeves up, like that is a very like newsroomish kind of uh, fashion. Uh, well, you buy it off the coals. You buy it off the Kohl's clearance rack, as you and I have mm. discussed before, Doug. You roll the Love sleeves it. up to a, just a, a certain way to a certain place. That's what you're going for. So I think an iron would just ruin that. I'm big on the wrinkle-free. If I'm buying a shirt, I want that wrinkle-free tag on it, which I think is a trick sometimes. It is. I, I think, think it's, it's BS, yeah. It's Because if you put a like, shirt at the bottom of the laundry p- pile, it's going to get wrinkled. Yeah. It's Here's more the wrinkle don't care about is what it should yes. say on the tag. It's not going to not be wrinkled. It's just you don't care. I don't iron clothes, but what I will do is if I'm on a road trip, I'll do the old um, hang it up in the bathroom when you take a shower and try to steam out some of the wrinkles mm. that um, that are in there from having packed it. That's as far as I'll go. That's I'm I'm not working with much here. What am I going to do? What am I doing? What am I what am, what's an iron going to do? An iron to my face would probably do more good than an iron to my <laughs> clothes. Yeah. Deion like- Sanders said it, man. You look good. You play good. We look good. We write good. You feel good. No, that's true. But like, yeah, I think the point that Nathan and I are making is a wrinkled shirt is not what makes us look bad. And an <laughs> iron shirt is not what makes us look good. They don't, people don't walk up to me and Nathan and say, you know what? Those guys are an iron shirt away from being hot. <laughs> that is not. It's like, the, it's like, again, like I never bought nice golf clubs because it's not the clubs. It's not the shirt, ladies. <laughs> it's, you. Yeah. it's not the shirt. It's when, what's when- under the shirt. When the women at Ohio Stadium are looking up at the press box instead of the field, which they obviously do, and they're like doing their their grading system, it's not like face ten, butt ten, shirt one, and it just throws the whole thing off. If I could iron, which myself, I would still be a seven there, I would still be a seven there. So maybe I should, I'd be fine with that. Yeah. If I could, uh, yeah, I want to iron the wrinkles of my torso, not the shirt. I don't even know why did I say iron. 
What did I say that made me say iron? We even said this. I don't know. Because we were talking about. So the thing that I want to do. Oh, we're talking about wrinkles in the offense. Oh, wrinkles in the offense. Yeah. Okay. So wrinkles in the offense. I'm not interested really in the wrinkle. I'm interested more sort of in the base fundamentals of how you go about your business. And I am going, I can be we if we want, but I'm, we're definitely going to do this this year is I want to track what we'll call real passing yards and real rushing yards for the Ohio state offense, because all the times that they talk about bubble screens to the edge, to a receiver, even if it's, you know, if it's behind the line of scrimmage, then it's a run. But if it's barely in front of the line of scrimmage, it counts as a pass. They think of that as the run game. And Ryan Day, when I asked this about, hey, you're just trying to run it in different ways. He again talked about RPOs that with quarterbacks like CJ Stroud and Dwayne Haskins, as everybody listening to this knows, you run zone read. If you don't give it, if you pull it and keep it instead of the quarterback running it, they throw it. So, but they still consider that part of the run game. Because it threatens, it's, it's, it really isn't about what you do. It's almost how you threaten the defense. And they are threatening the defense with the run, and then they're throwing it. But they think of that as the run game. So I want us to track, well, here's what the stats said. They threw for 411, and they ran for 178. But real passing and real rushing, here's what it was. And I want us to think, I, I want us to even not just as we talk about it, but I want to statistically to think about this offense that way, because now that we've all evolved past the, why isn't CJ Stroud running? We're, we're done with that conversation. And it took us probably too long to realize that, but they are doing things in the run game, Steven, that's beyond hand it to the tailback. It just isn't showing up necessarily in the running statistics, but I think we have to get on the same page with them. And I think we'll track those stats ourselves, which they certainly do themselves as well. Yeah, I can't remember. It might have been a pod him and Justin Fields did with Mark Sanchez leading up to the draft last year where he was kind of explaining that and how RPO, it's you're either handing it off or it just becomes a play action pass. And it that, that type of thing, tracking it is going to be very interesting in games where we know what's going to happen. CJ has 50 plus passing yards. And how many of those passes were RPO situations where teams were just selling out on the run. And so CJ's got to pull it and throw it because I'm, I was guilty of it too. I, I chastised Ryan day after that Nebraska game and saying that, you know, you said 54 passes was too much for CJ the last time he did it. And yet here you are again, and you're abandoning the run game. But if I go back and rewatch that game, now with this type of information is okay was he really abandoning the run game or did nebraska just sell out on the idea of we're not letting travion henderson beat us so they ran 17 rpos and cj had to pull it every single time and that's why jackson smith the jigman ended up with 15 catches because typically with rpos your slot guys probably getting involved especially with those bubble screen Mm -hmm. rpos um it almost makes you look at the there's the play call and then there's what the defense forces the quarterback to do with the play call. And I think that is going to be an interesting thing to track next year in those games where CJ's 40, 50 passes, and it should have probably only been 27 to 30. And frankly, you can do it the opposite way because scramble scramble yards for the quarterback are really Mm -hmm. part of the passing game. If it's not a called run, it's like, well, we meant to throw it, but everybody was covered. And then our quarterback ran nine yards. It shows up as rushing yards, but it's not really the run game. Nathan, does this sound like a worthwhile endeavor? Because I think, A, we can probably do it as it's happening in the game, as we're sitting there in the press box. We can just track it ourselves. 
And B, if we get off a little bit, you can certainly do it on rewatch, right? Is this a worthwhile expenditure of our time? Yeah, probably. I, I think it is. And I think it's um, in the sack yardage too, obviously, even though at the college yep. level counts against the rushing in the NFL, it counts against just the, the team. Because it's, it's, I hate that it counts against the rushing yards. Yeah, it, yeah, it's it's. I understand why, I suppose, but it's uh, it's an outdated way to look at the game. I think, and and some of this also, I think, with the bubble screens and and those sorts of plays, it's it's another indication of just the efficiency of football, uh, the increased efficiency of of the way the teams play football. And instead of what used to be the old kind of like stretch play where the quarterback is running like eight yards in one direction and like meeting the running back at a period to try to get them out to the edge. Like, why not just throw the ball to Chris Olave? He's already standing out there. I think that they've just, it's, it's part of the development of the game and Ryan day is, and he's certainly not the, the groundbreaker here, but that's what they're recruiting towards. That's what they're designing towards. I think it makes a lot of sense. And it's going to still be a huge part of this offense this year too, with the kind of guys that you're talking about. And it's, it's an, it's an interesting mix of guys that they'll have out there. Cause on, on one side, you, a different kind of cornerback is going to have a problem with Julian Fleming and Emeka Ibuka than we'll have one with Marvin Harrison Jr. And you're going to have to defend both those guys on the edge on the same kind of play. And I do think in the end, we're not trying to, and we won't be because our stats won't matter. So we're not trying to take stats away from CJ Stroud or Jackson Smith and Jigba or anything, but it's more about the team stats and the number of plays they run and the production they get per play out of those ways of attacking a defense that'll give us a, just a lens into how Ryan day thinks and a lens into how they got after Wisconsin and how they got after Notre Dame and Penn state and Michigan. And I think it will help us be smarter as we discuss it, because there's just a lot of things, just again, just back to when Tom and Her- Tom Herman was here and they started throwing that jet sweep pass that were, they were counting as touchdown passes for JT Barrett. He threw the ball four inches. But why did you throw the pass? Well, then that way, if it falls on the ground, it's not a fumble, it's an incompletion. It goes in the stats as a pass, but the defense defends it as a run. You're attacking the defense with it as a run. And so that's what matters more when we're trying to discuss our team. And again, I know somebody's done that, right? We're not, we're not inventing this, but we're going to do it for our team, for our podcast for our purposes. And so we'll track that real rushing, real passing for Ohio state. And I think we'll get a better lens into how all of this works. One of the other things we talked about, and I, I have a defensive thing I want to bring up in a little bit, but we'll stay on the offensive side of the ball. Um, Bill Landis asked about, and it's something that Steven, that you have brought up a lot uh, on this podcast, just the idea of, could you go four wide? Could you go four wide in a world where if you're putting your best 11 on the field, it's very possible that, Mekak Buka, Marvin Harrison Jr., Julian Fleming, and Jackson Smith and Jigba are four of your best skill position guys. And so do you need a tight end? Could you put those four guys out there with C.J. Stroud and Trayvon Henderson and say we're going to attack teams this way? And Bill asked about that, going without a tight end on the field, Stephen, and Ryan Day, not so much likely the idea. Yeah, he killed my four wide receiver look, which – it's it's one of those questions where you wish it was more of a one-on-one conversation than something you brought up in a press conference just because you could really get in depth to it. His whole idea was you need tight ends to run the ball, which, you know, tight ends are typically better blockers than wide receivers. And I guess my only, you know, combat way to combat that is 
Or you could have four wide receivers on the field and make a defense put four corners out there and go dime, and then you can just throw, run it anyway because then it's, you're matched up at that point. It's not like a team is going to keep three linebackers on the field if you've got four top 100 receivers. But, yeah, his entire thing was you need tight ends because, one, it gives you a lot of options in the run game, and it keeps the defense on its heels because if you have four wide receivers, most of the time – teams are just going to think you're going to pass the ball, even if you do run it every so often. While if you have a tight end out there, you can do either one, especially for a team who likes to run RPOs. That is a good point, because I do really like running from pass sets and passing from run sets, right? They have a lot of success. Mm-hmm. They've had a lot of success in the Ryan Day era with 12 personnel play action deep shots. They don't take deep shots from four wide. They take deep shots with two tight ends in the game because the defense sucks in defense against the run then you go over the top you're you're suggesting the reverse steven spread them out and then tell trivion henderson hey man there's this defense is 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 defending you know the width and length of the field get a hole and go uh it's not i mean it's it's not crazy but nathan again like i just think ryan day's answer to it was was pretty close to no (laughs) like well, could you do that? Could that be a thing? I'm not sure he said the word no, but all the 81 words he did say, I thought maybe could have been boiled down to no. He pretty much dismissed the concept. He said, we want to have at least one tight end in the game and possibly two. So it isn't even that he's saying we're not going to do zero. He's really still saying if I had my druthers, we'd have two tight ends out there a lot. And I, I believe that. I think that, and I think that we have evidence of that these past three years that he would like to play that sort of offense as much as possible because of what you're saying, Doug, because he knows that even though you're putting out a two tight end set, the talent he has a receiver, the talent he has a quarterback still makes that an incredibly dangerous passing situation and a tough one for teams to match up against. Because if you, overcompensate too much for that, then you're just getting plowed over by what they have in the backfield and what they have up front. It's I, I don't know if it's six and one half dozen of the other because it's just the mirror image of everything you guys are saying about spreading people out. I do think, though, that when it comes down to you need one yard, you need two yards, you need the huge goal line run, um, I don't think you're going four wide and spreading them out there. I think you've got to be able to muscle up and do it sometimes. Like when everybody, there's one thing to be said about when you line it up five wide, four wide, and nobody knows you're running it, and then you run it and get yards. That's great. But there's also going to be times where everyone in the stadium knows that you are going to run the ball, and you have to be able to run the ball there. And I think I agree with him. It's not just coach speak. I think they have to have good tight ends to do that. Well, Madden, I always put four wide receivers on the field when I'm on the goal line, and I just throw the ball. I think there's no better way that you can phrase a question to a professional football coach than by saying in Madden at the start of the question. But it would now with Ryan day though, he's from, I mean, he's younger than you and I, Doug, and he's not that much older than Steven. And he probably was raised on Madden. I mean, he would probably tell you, um, I would, I would almost guarantee that there's some Madden in him that he learned to be an OC a little bit playing Madden. Don't be dropping Um, this on the pod, man. Save this for a story. Go play Madden with Ryan day. First and foremost, I'm, I guarantee you he's probably played some video games because I remember back in 2019, that's how they introduced the 2019 recruiting class was mm. Urban Meyer handing off a controller to Ryan Day. Second of all, Ryan Day is, is like 15 years older than me. He's significantly older than me. 
he's I forget he's sometimes like two or three old. years younger than you guys. Right. And he's a couple years younger than me. He's more younger than that than Doug, as long as we're getting things straight here. But okay. I, I will say if we're going to have anybody go play Madden with Ryan Day, it should be Steven. Because when I used to play Madden, I would come home from school like over Thanksgiving and stuff and my younger brother. And we would just we would just do all the front office stuff and then like simulate the season. Oh just do all God. the recruiting for the college one and simulate the season. We didn't actually play the games. We just did all the front office nerd stuff. You, you guys send me in there with Ryan Day to play Madden. I'm never coming back out. I'm going to have all the secrets of the program. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bet every time I beat you, you have to give me a new secret to this program. Although my team did beat Stevens head to head when we did that last year. We didn't I play, see. though. We watched. But right. Right. Nathan's going to go in and be like, hey, Pantoni. Hey, man, you want to do the recruiting thing in Madden with me and see <laughs> you can build a better roster? And then let, let then simulate the season. We'll you do that. We'll be there yeah. eating Chinese food, watching Madden simulate the season. It's like, oh, that four star. Oh, he's an all American. Oh, um, when, when I when I covered uh, professional, when I covered Major League Baseball, <laughs> there was a reporter one time who was asking who was asking the manager of the team about something that the first baseman had done, and he was like, I play first base in my in my rec league thing and tried to do that. And the manager practically came across the desk and strangled the guy to death. And it was like, that was like, what are you, what are you doing? Let's not. It's like, well, you know, when I was playing the beer league and I came off the bag to scoop it, but you know, it's like, dude, so please don't go there for real. So we ended up having a sort of a tag team tight end conversation because Landis said, what if you don't play any tight ends? And Ryan Day said, no, which was, I mean, it's like an absolutely a worthwhile question. Like, we're just trying to come up with answers here. And so then it was like, okay. So then my question was, well, what if you take someone else and make them into a tight end since you must play them? So I asked Ryan the thing that we've talked about on here, which is, can you make a tackle a tight end? And again, I'm not talking wrinkle. I'm not talking about like the third tight end and the goal line where you put on a special jersey. I'm talking about you're converting him. And he's going to be one of your primary tight ends. He will be maybe your number one inline tight end. And he sort of took it as more like, oh, yeah, we did it with Donovan Jackson last year. We could do that. And I was sort of like, well, could you just like change, you know, be a little more real about it? Nathan, he didn't say no as much to that. But I still think it's mostly a fanciful idea in my head because we did a video about this. And to Stephen's point, it's like, well, who? It was like, yeah, great made-up idea. But you've got a bunch of 300-pound guys, and what are you going to do? Make them all lose 50 pounds and become tight ends? I don't know that it wouldn't be a worthwhile endeavor. I do think maybe George Fitzpatrick as a freshman might be the best thing. But it's like, oh, so you take a freshman? It's like, we don't want to – it's like they have a freshman tight end. And I'm like, don't play the freshman tight end. Take the freshman tackle. And turn him into a tight end. That's much easier. But he's at 285. It's like, well, what if, you know, if that guy's supposed to go from 285 to 305, what if you said go from 285 to 265 and then block your butt off? And then we'll flip you a little five-yard pass four times a year. I'm just looking for answers, Nathan, because they need a blocking tight end. And one of the things about you go four wide, it's like, well, when they run, they want to run power. They want to run. They want a guard pulling. They want to run wide zone where you're caving in a whole side of the line and everybody's moving together and blowing guys out. They want that tight end, but they want everybody making attacking blocks. And so 
when you spread it out, you're trying to get like a mismatch and that kind of thing. And they really want to run, run with their beef. You know, they want to take it to somebody. So they want a tight end. They want six guys in the game who can all do that. And I'm just, I'm just trying to find a guy, Nathan. I thought Josh Fryer who's out for the spring. Maybe could you do it with him? Maybe George Fitzpatrick. I felt like Ryan day sort of entertained it in a, Oh yeah. Like anything could happen kind of way. I don't think it's the actual answer, but it does also still feel like they're kind of searching at tight end as we continue here. Well, I would say, I thought he went a little stronger than kind of the way you're phrasing it. He did say it's something we've talked about, like that they've considered it, that maybe they've even thrown around names. That's kind of the impression I was getting when yeah. what the way he was hearing hitting okay. my right. ears. Yeah. Yeah. But, okay. but, but I think that if they did do that, they are probably came to the same conclusion we did on that video, which is, well, who's it going to be? I, there are some other positions like you, you specifically said, could you take an athletic tackle and make him a offensive lineman full-time make him a tight end and make him a tight end. Yeah. Make him a tight end full-time. And I think there are maybe even other positions on this team. I mean, maybe you would trade some linebacker back to the tight end room in exchange for Kate Stover. Those guys are closer in body size, but they often maybe don't have, it's a completely different mindset of having played football to now go over and try to do what they need them to do most, as you're saying, which is just be a blocker. So I think it's, interesting to think about i think they have enough guys who have potentially limited roles and maybe limited roles in the long term that a position switch is something they would maybe be open to it's just a weird fit size wise i don't know if they have anybody that moves so well at 300 pounds that they could make them a tight end it would it would be a longer and like so like for instance the josh fryer thing you bring up a guy who isn't practicing this spring would not be in the equation at all so it, that's the right. other thing. It's like, it's gotta be somebody who is, they were, they'd have to start the process now. It certainly doesn't seem like something that would actually work for this <coughs> season. And, and, and it, even someone like you're throwing around Fitzpatrick's name, we're, we're just playing around. We're just having fun. Buckeye talk. But that we've talked before about places on this offensive line where as early as next year, it gets a little bit uh, sticky. Like they need dudes at some important spots as early as next year, both starting in depth and it starts to become hard to take potential starting offensive linemen out of your room and make them into tight ends, a position that has a, as we're talking about, kind of an important, but also maybe ultimately limited impact. Yeah. Like not limited snaps. I mean, it's like limited impact in terms of having the ball thrown to them, but I would say like, and they would say not limited impact in correct, how our offense correct, works. Correct. So this is also, I mean, it's not like they stopped. It's not like they stopped recruiting tight ends. Like they keep signing tight ends. They've got tight ends. It's, I don't, so maybe that's a discussion that we need to have. Like, did they, and Kate Stover was never really a tight end. He's bounced around. So he's almost not even part of this equation, but it's like, are they recruiting the wrong tight ends? Are they not developing their tight ends? Like well, they're not getting a, they're not getting huge recruits at tight end. No, um, no. right? They're not. But I don't. I, I think. I mean, first of all, Jimmy Rucker like throws a wrench in this because he was ready to play by year two, and he did because that's what top one hundred recruits do. They're typically ready to play by year two. What if Joe Royer is just ready to go? This is his third year in the program, and yes, he's in the four hundreds, but that's the type of tight end that technique that 
Ohio State's going to get because of how their offense works. They're going to get guys in the 300 to 400s, which is why you have to approach it like it's a developmental position. Guys typically aren't ready to go until they've been doing it for two years. Well, he's been doing it for two years, developing in the background, and maybe he's just ready to play football now. And if we look at it like that, then they actually don't have a problem at tight end the way we think they do. But when Landis says, what if you played no tight ends? And I say, yeah. what if you make a 300-pound guy your tight end? Their answer isn't, oh, no, we're good. Joe Royer's the tight end. Yeah. Which, if he was, if there was no doubt about that, they'd be like, no, 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 no. We don't need to make a 320-pound guy the tight end. What are you talking about? We have the guy. He's right here. That's not what they say. They say, well, right? Yeah, Nathan, I, I mean, I, yeah. I don't, I'm not trying yeah, to doubt. But how much anybody. of that is because none of them have actually done anything in a in a meaningful snap versus they're just not ready. And th- th- they're going to find out this spring if they're actually ready. Or but not. Listen, I mean, Jordan Hancock, right? We asked a bunch of questions about Jordan yeah. Hancock coming off winter and they were like, wow, yeah. mama, Jordan Hancock tore it up in the weight room this winter. They could be. There Fair. are guys they are saying that about. And it doesn't feel like they're saying that about anybody in the tight end room right now. Now, to your point, Stephen, it certainly could happen. They've had three practices. They have 12 more, just like 11 more in the spring game is the 15th total. And they have all August. We get it. It might happen. But Nathan, I, I think it's a fair read that the reason we keep talking about this and asking about this is but not because tight ends are so interesting. It's because it feels like they are saying we don't have an answer yet. Yeah, they're saying this is a huge part of our offense. And I I was going to bring up the same thing you did. I wasn't going to necessarily specifically mention Hancock. but I was going to say just in general, we do a lot of trying to read between the lines at this time of year when we're getting these interviews. And when they talk about certain other guys at like every other position group, I mean, they're going out of the way. Jaden Ballard, what a great offseason he had. Jordan Hancock and Ja'Kalen Johnson, great offseason. Like talking about how all these guys are maybe really on the verge of something. Even guys like Ballard who may – there really isn't still a path to getting him on the field all that much this coming year. But then the, these positions where they absolutely desperately need somebody, it's a lot of like, and Joe Royer's starting to do some good things. And yeah. like, you know, G Scott's starting to get there in size. And it's like, it's April or it's not, it's March, but it's going to be April. And, and in April. the season's four months away. And um, does Notre Dame have the same number of questions about its defensive front seven as you do about, two guys who you might want on the field, two guys who you might want on the field to try to push your offense through them. That's fair. They're certainly hedging their, their answers with tight end in a way that they're not doing with other positions. And you know what the funny thing is? It's not funny. It's just coincidental. It's not ironic. It's just coincidental. In week one, they're going to play probably the best tight end in the country. Yeah. And Michael yeah. Mayer of Notre Dame. <laughs> it's like, Oh, so like maybe I do think I continue the more we talk about tight ends and the more it's sort of like, well, we'll see. I do think it's possible that their starting tight end is not on the roster right now. I think there's a, a decent percentage of that. And I would also say as much as they've said the right things about letting Cade Stover decide who he is and what he wants to do. If you get to the end of the spring and you're like, well, you are welcome to play linebacker linebacker. You are our ninth linebacker. And yeah. you would be our number one tight end. Yeah. Right. I'm still, there's got to be like at least an 8% chance that that happens, right? I think him and Melton or Leos, Jax, whatever they end up calling that position. But if he's not the starter or the second guy in line there, I think there's going to be some, I think Ryan Day and Kevin Wilson are going to be like, hey, come on back over to this room. Come on back. You want to play two snaps 
Or do you want to play 60? Yeah. Come on back over here. Because they seem very respectful of what Cade Stover wants to do. They've said that a lot. We want guys to be able to play what they want to do. But Nathan Baird wanted to be a Major League Baseball player. You are not on the Cardinals roster right now. It's political. I don't like to talk about it. (laughs) So, I mean, obviously, Cade Stover is closer to being a college football linebacker than Nathan Baird was to being the second baseman of the St. Louis Cardinals. But at some point, there's what you want. And so I'm just being silly. But, Nathan, when you say the idea to me that Cade Stover could be their ninth best linebacker and their best tight end, that sounds very possible to me. And that is not the case not a good player it's just he hasn't played linebacker and actually three of they have 12 linebackers and three of the 12 did not start off playing college football linebacker so but but anyway he did that's the crazy part he's the he's the one that did (laughs) there's it's like everybody who knew everybody wants to be a linebacker maybe we'll get to august it'll be like trevion henderson was like you know what i was a linebacker in high school and then they may be a running back can i go back to linebacker and they're like uh we like no. to encourage players to take the role that they see they want to. It's like, yeah, at some point. That's where Tony Offer draws the line. He's like, no, no, no. Get your butt out there and tote the rock. And you're going to be a t- you're going to be a top 15 pick. You're going to like it. So, but I do think, I do think Nathan, that could happen. That it's like, Hey, who are the linebackers that are going to play? It's like, well, it's going to be steel chambers and Cody Simon and CJ Hicks and chip train And, Cade Stover, good luck. Or you can literally play 70 snaps a game for the number one offense in the country. I'm sort of wondering, though, I mean, going back to the transfer portal, does this start to look like defensive backs did a year ago at this time where it's like, well, sure. I mean, it would be great if a cornerback came through the portal that Ohio State could take. But are any of them better than Cam Brown or any of them better than the guys that they have on this roster? Like, is a, is a tight end at this point going to spring loose who is better than Joe Royer? Like, I mean, Pop. what what does that look like? Who, where is he coming from? It, more bank experience, on, more experience, yeah. possibly. Maybe I would Maybe bank on. Better. I'd bank on that happening more than the cornerback thing, just because you need a very specific type of tight end. It's you don't need the receiving tight end. You've got that with Joe Royer. He's got. I I think you can. You're telling them, hey, can you catch the ball 15 times this year? I think one of those dudes is capable of doing that. You need the Luke Farrell, the inline tight end. And I do think there is a better chance of you finding somebody in the portal who's better at that part of the job than just finding a cover lockdown corner like they were a year trying to do a year ago. I, I think it's possible that there would be somebody who's like a really solid player who goes through spring football and his new starting quarterback is when every pass at everybody's feet. And he's like, yeah. oh, my God, I don't know if I well, want to stick around for this this fall. And then it's like, oh, Ohio State could use you. It's, it's where the uh, the bat signal or let's call it the buck signal. That's where it would really come into play for them. If they just kind of maybe that is sort of what they're doing. Re- people uh, maybe recruit or other players out nationally, if they're paying attention, to this thing would be reading between the lines and saying, hey, I noticed Ohio State is really concerned about its tight end talent. I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that's subli- what's yeah. happening here in a very stealthy way. I, I don't know. I feel used by Ohio State. We just what did a 30 talk? minute segment that was like a recruiting pitch for every transfer portal tight end in the country right now. Yeah. Did you hear about, of, they, they're thinking about moving like a, a 320 pound tackle to, to t- you don't think we have a national audience of random college football players from other states? I don't. <laughs> I'm Buckeye dumb. 
Uh, Just Stetson Bennett. Ah, I won't do it. The um, all right. Is there anything else on the offensive side of the ball? Listen, it's one of those things. It's the great thing about spring practice. I love getting in for 25 minutes. It's like, I'll tell you what. I saw Evan Pryor run against air today three times. <laughs> Looked sharp. So that's my, that's like, I actually thought Mayan Williams had a little spring in his step. They were running like some drill where Ryan Day was holding a yellow trash can. Yeah. And he was in the middle of the drill and he was holding the trash can lengthwise. And you were supposed to cut. There was like one time you were supposed to cut inside of him. And on the other way, you were supposed to cut outside of him. But there was the head coach holding the trash can. And I did just feel like I tried to get a picture of that, but I thought that was like a meme in the making of Ryan Day holding a maize colored trash can. That at some point, you know what I mean? Like if that, I felt like that could be something because it was, it was yellow as all get out. It was like the Michigan shade of yellow. I'm not saying that's why he was doing it or why it's that color. I just thought it was interesting. But in that little drill, Steven, you were watching it too. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just, I it mean, it's good. a react. Yeah, it's a react drill. It's like react to where he goes. I'm not saying that it's a Michigan trash can either, but I'm saying if you throw that picture up there during Michigan week, people would take it that way and it go viral. I think, I guess I'll say, I guess this is relevant. Ryan Day doesn't spend nearly as much time with the quarterbacks as he did in year one. He's everywhere. Um, he was with uh, he was when they were doing the cycle, when they cycle through the different drills and just having an assistant coach somewhere. Him and Tony Alford were beating up football players as they're going through like ball security drills. Um, yeah, he's every I, I mean, when you're not worried about your second year quarterback, you're probably not going to spend that much time around him. Um, but the most newsworthy thing going on on offense outside of what the second string offensive line might look like is that CJ Stroud got a new helmet and Paris Johnson actually is wearing it, too. So you take with that. It has like the, like the little slots in the side of it or whatever. The, the, the face mask is built into it. Um, It's got slots on the side. It, uh, I I guess like it's got technology in it where you can tell um, how hard a hit was and it can engage all that stuff for like concussion stuff, which is interesting. It's almost as if a running back could have used that type of helmet last year, but we'll get into that when we get into it. But yeah, T.J. Stroud and Paris Johnson got new helmets. Well, that's good. That seems good. I don't know. They look cool. They look like they kind of look like turbo helmets. Like they look like motorcycle like little, helmets. Yeah, like a little slot in the side. I'll tell yeah. you what, though. Do you guys? I don't. So that sometimes you ever guys ever been on the highway when like the gang, the like twenty different yes. pocket rocket motorcycle guys come by and are doing wheelies and stuff on the highway. I don't like those. Those helmets make me nervous if it's going to be pocket rockets going eighty miles an hour beside me i'm an old man I don't, I don't need that if anyone does that i don't i don't it, it's not that you ride that don't ride it in a group of 30 and do wheelies on the highway and go 85 it's dangerous be safe out there all right you guys, I talk you guys about, haven't ridden a motorcycle i have never no. ridden a motorcycle I, I thought i did i wanted to ride one when i was a kid and then i realized man what if i get in an accident on this thing i'm probably gonna lose my life so no yeah i mean motorcycles are fine I just don't like the way those people ride their motorcycles every now and then. Have you been on a motorcycle before, Nathan? No, but I wanted to bring it up because I have this whole street going of, of things that make me sound manly in relation to the two of you guys. So we should do like one of those lists. You know how it's always like, do, give yourself a point for everything you've done on this list. And what's the list of 20 things that we could make a list of that we would all have zero points. It's like ridden a motorcycle. People were really, touched people a worm. Were really mad about us in that fishing thing. Yeah. I didn't realize that was like such a 
a detriment to my life that I'd never been fishing. I have shot a machine gun, but that probably wasn't. I don't good. know how we. I don't know how we got from fishing the machine guns, but okay. I'm just making um, my list of things that I have and haven't okay. done. Was it in anger at a vending machine? <laughs> no, no. It's like you didn't not. get your funyuns, so you just unloaded on a machine. Did gun. they close your local chilies and you went on a rampage? No, uh, there. My, my Chili's uh, empire is expanding around me, so I'm happy about that. Chili's also has mm. merch. They just started selling merch. I can, I'm going to buy a Chili's shirt, unless they want to send me one. But uh, I will come back and talk a little bit about the Ohio State defense next on Buckeye Talk. Doug Nathan Stevens. So I was trying to watch the defensive end drills. I don't know that this means anything. It, I'm sure it actually means nothing. Maybe I shouldn't even mention it, but it's like you just you're just scrounging for anything right now. The defensive ends, when they lined up, you know, four across and they run through a little drill. It's an end on each side and two tackles in the middle. Javante, Zach Harrison, Javante Jean Baptiste, and Jack Sawyer were in the same row of defensive ends. And I think maybe in our head that might be the Leo more Leo-ish, Jackish defensive end. And then JT Tumaloal, Noah Potter, and then this might have just been they didn't have another defensive end because they really are. That's basically their five defensive ends right now because Tyler Friday's out. But Tyleek Williams was in that row also. I'm not saying Tyleek Williams is playing defensive end. But if you're looking for an explosive pass rusher who can play the run as like a strong side defensive end, could he take a couple snaps outside? I don't know. They just at the moment also have more tackles than they do ends. Nathan, I was trying to decide, does that mean anything? They didn't have big signs that said, Jackson Leo's over here, strong side ends over here. It's just how they lined up. But it fit, I think, maybe what our perception is of the two styles of defensive ends. I think it's a, it's a, like a lot of spring drills or things that you might see. Because, again, we're only watching three periods. Some of it is you know stretching and whatnot. Um, it's good information to file away for if we see them lining up a certain way in the preseason, if we see them doing certain things in games, we can be like, Oh, remember back in the spring where they had them doing this drill and these guys were working together. Like that's where I think it becomes important. I wouldn't try to extract. I wouldn't try to project too much ahead out of it. I thought Ryan day had some really interesting things to say about Tyreek Williams today, though. He was asked specifically about him. Um, and I was asking about some defensive linemen too, because we're going to talk to them later this week. So you're just trying to get your coach quotes to go with your player quotes for later in the week. But, uh, with Tyleek, uh, he specifically was talking about how he, he wouldn't shut up really about his athleticism, like that this isn't just a big dude in the middle, that he's one of the best pure athletes on the team, has one of the fastest times on the on the team from like one to 10 yards, which is you would argue is like the only distance you need to measure for a defensive end a lot of times um, and just kind of going over overboard on on what this guy ladies maybe just sort of scratched the surface last year like what you were seeing in flashes last year now they're talking about the other big word besides athlete that he talked about with Tyleek Williams was sustain that you've got to be able to to sustain that not just from one snap to the next but I think within snaps and also just be more stout against the run which I think they would prefer obviously that he take up that space inside and just become a mainstay in there after last year 
as we said, like showing the promise, being a guy who kind of just rotated in there, had some big moments late in games, but maybe in some favorable matchups. Now, what do you do when you have to go up against first string man on man, ones on ones against some of the best in the Big Ten? Is it fair to say he told us why Tyreek Williams didn't play a lot more after he started flashing? One, because he wasn't in the best shape of his life that he could be. And then two, he's really awesome against the pass, but he can't stop the run for anything. And that's more important because there's more running downs than there are passing downs. No, I, I don't I, know. Yeah, I don't I know think, if he can't stop the, the run for anything, but I think it's it's there's other guys doing it better than him at this point. At that point. I think the the yeah, that maybe not being in shape to play more snaps. I thought I I definitely read that part of it. Okay. That he, and he's getting in better shape, which will allow him to play more snaps. So um, again, I think we have to remember it was a small sample size last year, but he was a freshman All-American in a small sample size, 183 snaps for him in 12 games last year. That compares to Haskell Garrett with 392. Haskell Garrett led the defensive tackles in snaps a year ago. The thing, I mean, they, they rotate there though. So I, so it was Tim May was asking a lot of questions about um, Tyreek Williams. And then I followed up right at the end because I wanted to make a comparison because we had talked about Tyreek Williams as being the closest guy on Ohio state's roster to that sort of oversized yet athletic, big, but quick size and explosion kind of sec defensive tackle. We said, maybe they have that guy in Tyreek Williams. And I made a comparison to Jordan Davis, as we've talked about on this pod, he, played fewer than half the snaps for Georgia last year. He finished seventh, the Heisman voting. And I was trying to almost give Tyreek Williams an out Nathan of like, Hey, you know, like, yes, he's got to sustain, but man, sometimes those big guys, you gotta, you know, you ask a lot out of them and it fits that slogan. That's on their wall left over from urban, the four to six a to B is like, give me four to six seconds and we'll get you out and we'll get a sub in re-energize and then get back out there. And then Ryan Day, again, like didn't exactly. He was like, yeah, but we'd rather have you be out there more. So he wasn't like just okay with that excuse. No, I mean, here's the quote, more or less. And I thought it was a great quote. The great ones, they can go for an extended period of time. And that's what we're striving for. That this isn't just, yes, there are players who, there are athletes who will top out. There are athletes who can only be so much. I don't think there's any shame in that it's still you're still participating at a a high level but if you think that there's a guy who has that greatness in him you've got to find a way to get to it and it is as we've talked about it's the chase young example too to where like they're just on the field constantly it's it's not i think i was talking to you one time and it's like it's different between flashing and just having the light switch like taped there so it's like permanently on like that's what chase young was and i think that's not everybody gets hardly anybody gets there but like you're, that's what you're trying to get to is that level where it's just a, a, a constant effort that can just be repeated over and over and over again. In the end, though, and again, it's one of those things. Why do we talk about this, guys? Because Tim May wanted to talk about it. So sometimes it's like it's not like Ryan Day was like, hey, guys, let me tell you about Tyleek Williams. We could have had the same conversation about Tommy Eichenberg or Denzel Burke or Matthew Jones or Marvin Harrison Jr. It's just that's not who somebody decided to ask about Tim may decide to ask about Tyler Williams, but Steven, it did feel like there was some excitement in Ryan day's voice that if, if people are thinking like, Hmm, is this a guy that's coming? We know there's going to be a rotation with Mike Hall and Ty Hamilton. And, you know, they like to play a bunch of guys in there. It did feel like Ryan day 
agrees with the idea that Tyreek Williams might have a little something special that we'll see even more of this year than we did last year. Yeah, I just looked up Jordan Davis's snaps since that's the name you used to Ryan Day. He played 378. So that's what this was. Yes, in Ryan Day's mind, yes, Tyreek Williams is very, very good. And he's all those things you just asked me. But he can't be that if he can't play north of 300 snaps for us. And maybe that's not this year because it's year two, but he's at 250 this year. And then in 2023, he's at 350. But it's all fine and dandy that you can do some of the stuff that you did. But if we're only going to be able to get you to do that once or twice a game because you can only play 22 snaps, you're useless to us. I do. I do think. Yes, you've got to be consistent. Yes, you've got to play against the run. Defensive tackles that affect the pass or change defenses. Yeah. So th- that that is a, a fact. And yes, they need you out there all the time. But if Tyleek Williams on third and six in the national championship game gets pressure on Bryce Young, those are the kind of plays that win you national championships. You can't only get edge pressure. You've got to do some things up the middle. And yeah, you've got to stop the run, but people are here to chuck it around. And if they have an athlete with some explosion on the interior of the defensive line, that doesn't come around all the time at Ohio State. And, and that would be a great thing. I do want to talk a little bit about Pro Day. We'll be back tomorrow to talk about Pro Day. Again, we have to remember Ohio State was not even in the top 10 of teams that had combine, combine invites this year. This is not going to be one of their biggest pro days. It's going to be a chance for Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave to show out. Um, a lot of guys, Jeremy Ruckert did bench press at the combine. Almost nobody else did. So like Tyreek Smith, bench press, Haskell Garrett, everybody decided not to bench press at the combine because they asked you to run and bench press on the same day. And they all said, I'll pass till my pro day. So for a couple of those guys, the bench press and some other things are going to be a big deal. They'll all, they'll do the position drills. It's great to watch the guys go through position drills. And then of course, there's going to be some guys, Master Teague, Demario McCall, some guys who weren't invited to the combine where this is your opportunity. But the showcase moment is going to be when Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson get out there, Steven. And what do we know about who's going to be throwing on the ball? TJ Stroud will be throwing them the football and Cardell Jones. But obviously the bigger story here is that scouts get like an early little preview of, Maybe the guy who might be the number one pick in the 2023 draft, throwing them the ball, which Ohio State did that last year during Justin Fields' pro day. They had Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, and Jamison Williams as his wide receivers, um, and they got an early taste of it. And obviously, Jamo ended up transferring, but they got an early taste, and now they're going to be first-rounders, and now you're using C.J. Stroud to do the same thing here. And so uh, Ryan Day downplayed it a little bit, saying we're making more of it than we should. But listen, you're going to throw – he's going to put him out there. He's going to throw the ball. Yes, everybody's going to be paying attention to Garrett and Chris first because – they're the people getting drafted in a couple of weeks here, but I'm pretty sure everybody who's represented there, they're going to be taking a close look at CJ Stroud as well, especially when you look at these teams who are probably going to be in the market for a quarterback over the next two years. Well, as he said it, like they want to put the best foot forward for everybody involved, I think was his actual quote. So like, why wouldn't you have the guy who has thrown the most passes to CJ Stroud or to Wilson and Olave over the past year, year and a half, be the guy who throws to him on pro day. I think it makes a lot of sense and it gets, you know, all these scouts get an early extra look at CJ Stroud for next year. And I guarantee a year from now when CJ Stroud is doing this for real at the combine and at pro day, he's going to say, well, I did this a year ago and that really helped me because I knew what it was like. I knew the script and I was used to 
80 scouts watching me, right? Because it's one thing to do it in front of 107,000 in Ohio Stadium. It's another thing to do it in front of 100 guys who control your future. So this is a big deal. All the mocks, Mel Kuyper put out another mock on Tuesday. He had Garrett Wilson, eight. Pretty good, Garrett Wilson. Garrett Wilson, eight to Atlanta. Chris Olave, 16 to Philadelphia. So that's two receivers in the top half of the first round, Stephen. That would be, I think, both Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson would take that. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's the beginning of what might be a run here of first-rounders. It almost, if things work out this year, I think Ohio State's got a chance to do what Bama did in 19 and 20, where they had two guys be first-rounders and then another two guys. And it's, That would be interesting if that happens, because then we can have a real conversation of who had the better two-year run of wide receivers between Bama and Ohio mm-hmm. State. But the more important part of all this is it's not really important, but it's important to me. Nobody knows this. I have been a Falcons fan since the Michael Vick era. Oh, So nothing, nothing, nothing would make me happier than being put in a position where I no longer have to be objective when I talk about Garrett Wilson. If I can just go full fan mode. Come on, man. We stopped being objective about Garrett Wilson like 18 (laughs) months ago. Yeah, you and I both, Stephen. Now, you're right, but now, now I, I don't have to act like it anymore. I can just go full flat. If he gets here's the deal: if he if the Falcons take Garrett Wilson, when we come on this pod, I'm just gonna start screaming to the top of my lungs, and everyone's gonna know Lord. why. You gotta it's, tilt yeah. your head when you scream. You gotta tilt your head away yeah, yeah, from yeah. the mic. Uh, yeah. The problem for Garrett Wilson is that his quarterback's gonna be Marcus Mariota in Atlanta for a year. For there. a year, and then for it's a CJ, year. then it's CJ or Bryce. I'll take either yeah. one of those people. Yeah, well, no, that's true. They, they'll be drafted pretty high, I think. I mean, they, yeah. they, they need – I mean, they have to take receiver there. They were, they were really bereft. Um, and they, they they just kept Cordero Patterson around for another year at running back. Like, other than Kyle Pitts, like, it's it's been there. So, I think that's a great fit for Garrett Wilson. Actually, I thought – even better news for you, Stephen, I think you might be, like, third on the depth chart at quarterback for that team right now. I know. It's they are. bad. They are. I, I mean, quit. Cal- I'm going to Atlanta. <laughs> Calvin Ridley suspended for the year. He, yeah. he might be back as a Falcon. Who knows? Um, but they have Kyle Pitts and not a lot else. They just traded Matt Ryan, obviously. They're tanking. So if Garrett Wilson goes there, he's going to be part of a tank for a year. But then he'll be in on the ground floor, and it'll be Kyle mm-hmm. Pitts, Garrett Wilson, and the quarterback they are now drafting to throw to them. And it might be C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young. So that could really work out. And then Chris Olave, if he goes to Philadelphia, like Philadelphia has a bunch of picks. They have Devontae Smith there. It's funny. It's like – we, we've th- sort of thought of Chris Olave as Devontae Smith and Garrett Wilson as Jalen Waddle. And if Devontae Smith and Chris Olave wind up together in Philadelphia, it's a good sign. Listen, Bill Cupper doesn't know everything. It's just his one mock. But he has him going ahead of Jamison, which is, uh, again, he's coming off the ACL. But that Chris, and he has him going ahead of Traylon Brooks. That's a third receiver off the board. There was a time when I think we thought Chris was probably the fifth receiver off the board behind Garrett, Drake London, Traylon Brooks, and Jamison Williams. Now with what Chris Olave did at the Combine, um, I think he might end up being the third receiver. And again, I've done it on the Browns pod already, but goodbye, Garrett Wilson, possible Cleveland Brown. I tried my best and they traded the pick in the Deshaun Watson trade. So we know he's not going to be a Brown. So um, yeah, the Eagles is, the Eagles is really interesting because I mean, like you said, they've already got Smith, they've already got Jalen Rieger too, who I think is, is there's he stinks, something there. I think though. I don't I think know. So. I don't know. I think there could be, there could be something there. So, and then Hurts, I mean, what they're trying, I don't know. I think that's an interesting fit. Yeah. So, 
I thought, I mean, I think a lot of people liked Olave. It's interesting because you have all this stuff. You all have all these mock drafts and then free agency changes everything. I think a lot of people liked Chris Olave for the Raiders and then the Raiders traded for Devontae Adams. And it's like, oh, mm-hmm. and now, you know who you see a lot of people liking Chris Olave for? The Packers. It's like, oh, because now they could, they have the Raiders pick and their own pick. Yeah. They need a number one receiver. You know the Packers are picking receiver. Chris Olave and Aaron Rodgers, I think Chris Olave would be a little cold. And Josh San Myers. Diego guy, but he'd sign up for that. Yeah, Josh, you can live with Josh Myers. They could ride the bicycles at camp up there. They could get a bicycle built for two with Josh Myers and Chris Olave. They could ride together. So Pro Day will happen on Wednesday. We'll have a report from that on the next Buckeye Talk that will come Wednesday afternoon. And then, again, it'll be fun to talk to these defensive linemen on Thursday, to talk to Tyleek Williams about some of the things we just talked about, to talk to JT Tumaloa, to talk to Jack Sawyer and Zach Harrison about what do they think about this Jack Leo stand-up rush end, you're up on your feet a little bit more position that they're going to have this year. I did think before we go, Nathan, it is, it's not a waste, and we have to ask the head coach defensive questions, but you get a lot more out of asking Ryan Day offensive questions because he's actually in charge of the offense. He did call the Jack Leo stand-up rush end a package today Yeah, that just hit my ear that we have viewed it as that's the defense Jim Knowles runs. Jim Knowles' base defense, there's two defensive ends. One is a stand-up end who is maybe more likely to drop back in coverage or move around the line, have a different responsibilities potentially package means, well, maybe we'll do that on third down. Maybe we'll do that every now and then, but the rest of the time we'll have like sort of a four man front, like usual. Did that mean anything to you? Or is that just words flying around? I'm actually glad you reminded me of that because it did. I, as I was typing, I taking notes there that did hit my ear the same way that he used the term package instead of like, we're transitioning this full time. I mean, it's, he did say today, they're still doing the four down thing. That's, and he referred to that as their base defense still. Yeah. So I'm, I'm wondering now if, is there a door open here where it's like, that's what Jim Knowles wants to do long-term, but for 2022, the personnel that they have that they've already recruited, that doesn't make sense yet. I don't know that it, does it become like the, the new bullet? Um, where it's like it's a great concept in theory, but until you actually get Ronnie Hickman in place and he's ready to go be that, that you're better off playing the what you already have. Or is it a product of in the Big 12, you probably need a standing rushman who can also go back in the coverage when you need it because Big 12 teams chuck it around while Ohio State's the only team who chucks it around this much in the Big 10. And so you probably need a more you need it to be more packaged like while you're four down front is what your standard is because you have to worry about the run a lot more often. Or is it, yeah, in the big 12, we need to move that end around all over mm-hmm. the place to try to trick offensive lines. Cause that's how we get pressure. And at Ohio state, maybe we can just tell that five-star to go get the quarterback. But also, I mean, to your point, Steven, I don't know if you want to stand up and moving around against Wisconsin and Iowa mm-hmm. and Michigan and some of the offenses you're going to face that are, beefy run first offenses so i think as what jim Knowles had said before is hey man we're not even there yet like we'll get to that after spring break well well after spring break this was practice three on tuesday they had two practices before spring break they'd been off for a week and jim Knowles says we're not even worried about the rush end until after that so they're not there yet like they're not doing it in practice yet but there's a difference between sort of jim Knowles saying 
hey, we're just not practicing that yet, but we'll get to it. And then Ryan Day calling it a package. I just thought that was, it feels like, Nathan, we're slightly, every time we talk about it, we slightly ease back from, oh, this is the new defense, to, oh, it'll be a mix. Well, it'll be, uh, and you know, the other thing too is, Jim Knowles is every coach with Larry Johnson. And you know what Larry Johnson has done for 35 years? Is play a four-man front with ends who got after the passer. And he's done it as well as any defensive line coach in the country. So Jim Knowles is certainly, if he's a smart coach, and he is, he's going to come in and talk to Larry Johnson about that and adjust his philosophy to what Larry Johnson has been doing. And as all that stuff melds together, Nathan, it may take us a while to get a real firm grasp on that, but it might not be exactly what he did at Oklahoma State, and it might not be exactly what we thought. Yeah, I, I, I'd love to talk to them more about what the real difference is between – because it's going to be a edge rusher anyway in a lot of ways, or on a lot of snaps, that's what that duty is going to be. So how different is it to have the guy standing up as opposed to down in a, a stance? And, and how significant of a difference is that as you're getting schemed against or coming up with a game plan designed to attack a team? I, I do think, though, it, we need to watch how we're talking about this because we have – many times on this podcast said Ohio state maybe doesn't need to worry about designing itself to win the big 10. It needs to design itself to beat the best teams in the country when it gets to the playoff. So if, if the Leo slash Jack slash whatever they want to call it is better for that, isn't that what they're supposed to be doing? Yes. And the big 10 mm-hmm. will come as it comes. Right? No, that's true. And you can have that, you can have the Jack Leo be a standard part of your defense. You just don't use it much against Iowa, but you practice it all year. You have guys prepared to work on that all year, just like they don't normally play four linebackers, but Justin Hilliard got a lot of run against Wisconsin two years ago. Yeah. Right, Steven? Yeah, that's the key. It's okay. I'm not saying they have to throw it out there every single week, but it should be a period and good on good on Tuesdays and on Wednesdays because you still have to think, you can't completely dismiss the big 10 because the moment you do that Michigan runs the ball down your throat for 60 minutes so it's got to it, there's got to be a healthy balance of this it's almost like having a gun that you never shoot but it's always loaded just in case yeah okay pro day pod on Wednesday defensive line talk on Thursday on Friday the thing that I want to talk about that I finally figured out again very possibly very likely a thing that you have all figured out Nathan, Stephen, everyone listening, far many moons ago, and I'm just catching up. But that's okay. We'll talk about that on Friday. And if you want a hint of what it is, I brought it up on the Tuesday pod on the College Football Survivor Show. If you pay $2.99 a month, you can go figure out what they said on the Tuesday show. You got to do it through Apple Podcasts. Kind of a wrinkle. It's I know if you don't have Apple, that's where we have the Pace show for now. So $2.99 a month to get all the Tuesday shows. So it's like 75 cents an episode college football survivor show that's up for Tuesday, the Wednesday show college football survivor show will be free. We're going to talk about kind of a little bit playing off what Nathan and I did last week. Um, Shahan and I are just going to pick who are the four teams we think are our playoff teams right now. So guess what? Ohio state's going to be part of that discussion on the college football survivor show on Wednesday. For now, make sure you guys are reading cleveland.com slash OSU. Would love to have you try the text at 614-350-3315. I'm, I'm going to go into my bracket folder. I, I literally have a folder on my desktop. It's on my desktop. It's very messy. Go in. I have a bracket folder. I'm going to go in there. I'm going to find something. We're going to figure something out and get a bracket going because it's past time for that. 
Thanks to you guys, as always, for being part of it. For Steven, for Nathan, I'm Doug. And that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.